Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Hal Johnson, and you're listening to Topa Tonight. And until next time, keep fit and have fun. First thing I guess to start off with here, Hal, is, uh, you know, how are you? How is 2021 treating you? Well, uh, it's just, uh, you know, you make the best of the, the situation. So it's, uh, it's, not, it's not bad. Things are going well. I think what I always look at is that out of, out of chaos comes opportunity. And so there's been a lot of chaos over the last year. And so there's a lot of opportunities. What kind of opportunities have you been personally seeing with, I know with COVID, a lot of things get shut down. I, I like your background there, to, to be honest. It looks like you're at a gym. I don't know if that's a home gym. Is that kind of like what 2021 has brought you, like more gym time? <laughs> well, the, this is, this is our, our gym, but it's also our studio. And so we do a lot of speaking engagements across the country, but all those have been shut down because of COVID. So we're doing virtual speaking engagements. So instead of going virtual or, or thinking of it in those terms, uh, a virtual one where you're, you're using your computer to do a, a, a talk. I thought of it in terms of this way of it's a TV show. And so we've, we, I've got a four camera setup here that I can switch between cameras. I'm using uh, one of my Sony cameras off of, off of here um, with RF microphones. Um, I've got other cameras I can switch to just by, I've got an A10 mini switcher. I can also switch to the house, which is 200 meters away or 200 feet away. And I can switch. If we have a camera down there, I can switch between the two to do nutrition there, gym stuff up here. So it's quite a, uh, it's, and we can run video through our presentations. So our presentations have gone very, very well. And we've done so many of them because people are finding that when they want a professional speaker, professional speakers are not used to let's say a lot of them are not used to just talking to a camera. That's what we are used to doing is just talking to a camera. So it's been, uh, been rather easy for us and it's been a good opportunity. I feel like you've had a lot of practice with talking to just to a camera. I, I don't feel like anyone has to worry about that when they get Hal Johnson on. It's not like, dude, is he going to, is he going to be okay on a camera? It's like, no, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, pretty, it's pretty easy. It, it's, I, I want to discuss this because now, it, this is where I find it so interesting because see, as a kid, and I don't mean with this as offense, hopefully you find the humor in this, but you know, I'm watching TV as a kid, I'm home for lunch, I'm having a pizza pocket, not, not basically very healthy. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of a, uh, my show comes body break. And I'm like, oh, come on, right at the good part. You got to put this on. <laughs> and like, as a kid growing up in the 90s, you're like, seriously, can you just choose another time? But as you get older and you go in and you go to like a university or a college and you even just hum that song, someone's like body break. Right. And I'm like, yeah, like it's weird because I've never sat down and, you know, as a five-year-old or a 10 year old be like, yeah, man, I got to lift some weights or I got to go out and snowshoe, but it's just stuck in your mind. And then when you go back and watch it now for nostalgia, you're like, man, 
I can use this now as a 29 year old. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been uh, it, a lot of things we did kind of were timeless, but it was really, you know, showing people that they can live a healthy, active lifestyle. And it was, um, and showing that it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what your ability is, what your disability might be, what your ethnicity, what your gender, we can all live, work and play together. And that was really the impetus and the, the idea of the show. So it was, it's pretty simple for us. It's, you know, stood the test of time. And so it's interesting that people go back now to our YouTube channel and check it out and, and see, uh, you know, our 300 or so body break episodes. And, and we're putting new things on there now as well as, as the, as the old stuff. With this podcast, sometimes when we have people that come on, you know, overcoming obstacles or with disabilities, like to imagine that, yes, it is kind of Canadian pop culture, but it almost didn't come to be because doing a bit of research, there's like 40 companies that said, no, we're not doing, we're not going to put this on. There was times that when you wanted to do, again, beyond camera roles, they would tell Joanne, like, can you not, can we replace Hal with someone else just because of like the racism that comes with it? Like, explain this a little bit of like, I, I know obstacles are hard to overcome, but during this time frame, did you ever think this isn't going to come to be, this isn't going to like make it to air? Were there times that you even said to Joanne, like, listen, if they want me out, that's cool. Like, how did this all affect you? Not at all. Uh, <laughs> I <would> say, <laughs> not at all. It's really one of those things where on June 8th of 1988, we, you know, when I came up with the idea and the concept and I molded over with Joanne and I said, what do you think of this idea? And I said, I said to her on that afternoon, 4.30 in the afternoon, I said, this is going to change your life. And she said, oh, okay. And I said, do you have, have $2,000? Because I, I think that's what we need to put this together. And so she says, well, I can scrape it up. And so we both scraped it up. But at no point, at no point did we ever, did I ever think it wasn't going to succeed? It, it was like, it's going to happen. And I know it's going to happen. And so that, that's where, I don't know, I don't know why I had such a belief in it. But the, the idea, the concept, the the simplicity of it, I thought is it's it's gonna it's gonna work, and I was never ever discouraged. And so it, it's funny when when young people come up to me now and they ask me, you know, I've got this idea, what do you think of this, and so on, and they want to do something in business or whatever. As I get older, you you start to get more negative. You start to see all the pitfalls. Yeah. When you're younger, you don't see them, and you just kind of go. Hey, yeah, I, I was so focused. I didn't see any of the pitfalls that, uh, and people saying no. When people would say no, I, th I would often think, gee, I guess I just haven't explained it well enough. Yeah. <laughs> or they haven't, they haven't got my vision that, I, that I've put together here. So I've got to work on my explanation and really get my, you know, they call it now elevator pitch. I've got to give it to them in a rather uh, fine tune it and hone it. And, uh, and we did, I you know, after meeting, after meeting, after yeah. meeting, we did after, uh, after so many uh, being turned down so many times. If you just quit right off the hop or the first obstacle that comes up, you're like, that's it. You don't get to be where you're to right now. Well, if you look at things like they're hurdles as opposed to walls, it's going to be a lot easier in your life. So there's always a way. And I think that's the thing that I would look at and encourage people to look at is that there's always a way. You just have to figure it out. That, that's what I, I look at. There's always a way to do something. And so how are you, how are you going to do it? Most people are going to tell you no. 
And most people are going to say you can't do it. And the reason why they're going to say you can't do it is because they think they can't do it. So how could you do it if they can't? Yeah. Do it? So, and I guess that's a gift. I don't listen to most people. There can't be a gift and a curse. And it's, uh, you know, and, and surround yourself with people that, that encourage you that you can do things as opposed to those that will pull you down. You grew up in Philadelphia. No, no, I grew up, I grew up in Toronto. I was born, born, I was born in, in Born in Newark, New Jersey. Okay. I grew up at six months old. My mom told my dad, she goes, we're moving back, we're moving to Canada because the United States is too racist and we got to, she didn't want me to be, uh, grow up in the States. No. Okay. Fair point. Cause that's kind of what I wanted to, to kind of get into here with, you know, when you were building on body break, like I, I've, I'm really surprised because the amount of team captains you are with like, it says baseball, basketball, hockey. I'm like, there had to be just facing adversity, even at a, at that age, not only, you know, with racism, but anytime you're named captain of any sport, whether no matter the ethnicity, there's always going to be kids that are like, well, why is he captain? Why does he get to wear the C? When I look back on it, I had a great childhood. Like I, I certainly I can't complain in any respect. I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. Most of my buddies were Jewish. It didn't matter. I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs. Like it just, <laughs> just didn't matter. Like what you were. Nobody. I, I never got bullied ever. Being six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds helps. Kind of hard um, to bully that. Kind of hard. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it. I was always the biggest kid. So all I wanted to do was play, and I and I wasn't. Uh, and I'm not an aggressive person uh, in terms of uh, of that. In terms of. You know, I, I, I deplore people that are bullies. Yeah, I, I had a great childhood growing up. And the only uh, place that I would find uh, growing up really racism as a kid that I know, noticed it was playing hockey uh, with the other teams, which I could never understand why the other team would call me names. I couldn't figure that out because, you know, a guy, you know, who was – let's say five foot seven and 150 pounds. And at the time I was, you know, like six feet, 200 pounds. And he would start calling me names. And I'd think, why are you doing that? Like, I can crush you. Like, I, I, I couldn't understand that, you know? So I led the league in fighting uh, almost every year because of that. Almost every game I was called a racial slur, but that was just part of playing. Did you ever go to like a coach about this or like to, to like a, a parent and like kind of say like, you know, the reason that I'm always in the penalty box is because of this. It's not like I enjoy fighting. It's I'm fighting because no. they're out here calling no. me. <laughs> everybody. Again, it's not the, it's not the, uh, the you know, 2020s. Uh, everybody knew it. I mean, you could hear it throughout the rink. <laughs> I mean, I had parents, I had parents calling me names from the stands. So it, it was no surprise. Like I, I didn't have to explain it to anybody what was going on. The bigger the game, the more the slurs. That that's. But it, it, hockey was the only sport that I ever faced that. Football, baseball, basketball. Never once did anyone ever utter any racial uh, slur uh, towards me in, in any respect. But hockey was it was constant, and it, that's why I find it funny, and I love hockey. I built a rink out, out back here, but I, it is kind of endemic with the, uh, with the culture of hockey um, that uh, growing up. It, it was a very unfortunate game I love, but uh, it was uh, very endemic with the, with the sport. 
do you find now with the shift in NHL where you have like a Hunter uh, Iron sing on a broadcast or you see more female anchors being included in like post-game scrums, even getting to anchor. And, you know, with, uh, I think it's like Quinton Byfield now going number two in the draft and there's more kind of black players in the NHL. Do you find that all this is like progressively getting, I, I know there's still probably some racism involved in this, but do you find that it's not, it's getting, I guess, in a better direction or going kind of uh, as a positive that, you know, these athletes kind of come out and explain it. There's more voice, I guess, rather than them being shun out or quiet, they're actually getting a voice. Yeah. It, I mean, things have changed. Absolutely. But you, what you have to realize is Don Cherry has only been gone, what, about a year, a year and a half. It took that long to get rid of that dinosaur. Don Cherry, to me, epitomizes hockey. And so if you think of what Don Cherry represents, a Trump supporter, you realize what he thrust upon us. He epitomized the culture of hockey. And that's why he was a, he was around so long. And until you get rid of the Don Cherries yeah. of the world, you're not going to get rid of that attitude. And, and that's where, like, when he was saying, for example, you know, all those Swedes, those chicken Swedes or whatever it might, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, or, or those Americans or whoever it is. You, you have to think of that as put something else into that place and it becomes offensive. So yeah. if he's saying, oh, those chicken blacks or those chicken French or those chicken whatever. Oh, he's, he's, yeah. he's called French. He's called French out. Don't worry. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But so it really comes down. And there's a, a poem that was a very famous poem, the, the Holocaust. And it was basically something that, you know, um, you know, they came after the communists and I wasn't a communist. So I didn't care. They came after the, um, yeah. uh, the, the Marxists. And I'm not a Marxist and I didn't care. When they came after me, there was no one to say anything. And so um, that's where I think that you have to stick up for other people. And uh, so I was always offended when he would talk about others and putting them down to put Canadians up. And so I don't think you should stand on other people's shoulders in order to make yourself feel taller. And I think that's where I was always very offended. And I've always spoke out against Don and his, his attitude. And, and I think the parallels between what Trump, that, that underlying, but now it's very overt. And finally, people are realizing the racism. It was always that way uh, coming across to me as a viewer uh, watching Hockey Night in Canada. And sometimes like I find too, like you don't really experience it or see it until you actually get older. Like, cause I know as a kid at Christmas, you'd get like the Rock'em Sock'ems you're looking at. Like for me, someone that's 10 or 12 that likes the Detroit Red Wings, I know they're bad right now, but uh, I would be watching that for like the playoff series or the biggest hits and like not really paying attention to the commentary. But as you get older, you start to pay attention to the commentary. And in your mind, like, you know, the difference between right and wrong of if they showed you a top 10 coach's corner and he's like, smacking Rama claim with an elbow pad and going like, see, this is what the French don't have. They're soft, blah, blah. And then you're like, I know it's wrong. I'm not going to say it, but whatever. Let's just skip past that. But like, then when it comes to the point where you get to a little bit more educated, a little bit more, I guess I'm coming from Newfoundland. So to be honest, we don't get a lot of different ethnicities at this time. Like, yeah, they're coming in now, but at the time it is what it is. So you look around and you're like, okay, I'm not going to say it, 
I know it's wrong, but when am I going to ever get the chance to really kind of express this kind of opinion? And then when you get older and you go to, I went to like university up away in Ontario. So I did start to see these other cultures and I'm like, Oh geez, like you actually see it face to face. Like, cause you don't see it when a person's saying it on camera, but when you see someone's eyes or see how hurt they are by these comments, you're like, okay, like never really noticed this. Now that I do, I think it's time to kind of maybe look at it a different way or maybe say, okay, let's, let's, let's try to make things a little bit better. And, and I do find that sometimes like I want to get back a little bit to this as well. Cause when you're looking at TSN, for example, now, and they have Jermaine Franklin and they do this, I call, I'm not going to call it a PR stunt per se, cause I think it's genuine, but it's like, they'll show Jermaine Franklin of he's now on the sports desk and they say, they show a high school picture of when I was high school, I said, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I'm like, okay, that looks good now. But back then, if we tried putting this commercial back in 1999 and it's basically like, Hey, this guy didn't make it to TSN, but here's what happened. You're like, Oh, well, why didn't he make it to TSN? Let's, let's examine this. Cause I heard that you were going to TSN, but they said more or less like we don't want two black anchors or two black reporters at the time. How did that make you feel? I was disappointed. I just thought, well, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And that's basically what I did is shortly after that's when I came up with the idea and concept of body break. So it was, it was disappointing. You know, and I know TSN reached out to me, uh, Natalie Cook, uh, one of the vice presidents of TSN reached out to me and, you know, wished, you know, want to apologize and all of this other stuff. And I said, no need to apologize. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what they, uh, but they went ahead and did that because I understand Bell Media, they need to, to politically make it look good kind of thing. Yeah. Because they, they went, uh, things went crazy. I said to them, um, what is something I can do now with TSN to make things uh, better? Meaning, not, yeah. not to make things right for me. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good. But how can I further this conversation and, and help, help this along? And basically, they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on that yeah. one. And I haven't heard in six months. So uh, I'm, I'm not certainly not going to hold my breath. And, and yeah, like it, it's so this, this is kind of like the interesting thing to, for me, because it's like the cynic inside of me as older, like, again, I'll come at it from full perspective. I'm a person with disability. I've applied for like jobs all over. And like, you don't really get the reason why you don't get an interview. Like, it's not like they're ever going to outright come out and say, well, geez, you like you have a disability because they know they can't come out and say that but you do get frustrated. So I feel like when sometimes these firms like Bell, Rogers, whoever reaches back out and says, oh my God, we're so sorry. Like, how can we make it better? And then you tell them, listen, like I'm not in this just for me. I want the next generation behind me to get these same opportunities. And when they're like, sounds good. And then you're like, okay, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> it's like dead. So I'm like, okay, like fair enough. But I bring that up just because I, I do see with TSM, with Sportsnet and others, like you do see a lot more ethnicities get involved. You do see, even with CBC, they now have a new like nightly talk show with a, a different ethnicity. I'm like, a, a part of you is like, that's great, but it's great for them. But on the other side, I'm like, okay, where's the disability side? Like, how come you don't have someone coming out in a wheelchair reading the news or someone that's like, again, I know with you have dyslexia, but you don't see a person on CBC ever do a promo saying, Hey, I'm Rosemary Barton, or I'm Andrew Chang, and 
there was a time that I had dyslexia, but look how far I made it now. And that to me is kind of like a little bit troubling to not know that. <laughs> well, I, uh, when, I, when I came out with my video in the summer about uh, my experiences of creating body break and racism, and, uh, and one very positive, and I want to be very positive about it in a sense, I did 66 interviews in the space of a little over eight to nine days. I was interviewed out. <laughs> I, I was uh, exhausted. But I did a lot of radio interviews with Sportsnet and radio as well as uh, TSN radio. I did every TSN radio station in the country. And I asked them, I asked these sports radio uh, hosts who were talking about you know, racism and and I would say to them about persons with disabilities, I would say, are you sitting in your chair? And I know that they're sitting yeah. in your, there. And I, I said, so, so someone in a wheelchair could do your job. And they said, yeah. I said, well, why isn't there that to my knowledge, the, does TSN have anybody in their radio on the, on their, uh, as an announcer who's in a wheelchair. And so they, well, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, that, that's where things have to start. Things that, that, that you've got to put persons with disabilities. Because I said, a person in a wheelchair can do the exact same job that you're doing. And I said, I bet you they would probably do as good, if not a better job, because they're going to work harder and do more research and be more uh, grateful for the opportunity than someone who almost expects to, this is the, the, the opportunity. Um, that's why often... Whenever I've seen a, a woman uh, pilot uh, get on a plane and, and the woman is piloting our, uh, our flight or she's uh, the co-pilot or the, or the pilot, I feel at ease because I know that that woman, to get to where she is, yeah. has had to work so hard and so diligent and has, has, thought, that, has, never th has thought that you know, she's had a lot of detractors. So she, she is probably at the top of her class both mentally and, and emotionally in terms of being able to, to cope with things. So I'm very, I'm, I go, oh, we got a good pilot today. There are those experiences that I find when you go into these media outlets and you're just looking for somewhat of a relatability or someone that you can kind of look up to. And I feel like we're getting that way in terms of certain sports. Like you do see Sarah Nurse on commercials for women's hockey. You do see women's hockey kind of being promoted and different ethnicities now with anchors for people that are in broadcasting. But I'm still at the point where I'm like, I don't see a lot of like Paralympics being on commercials or someone in a wheelchair saying like, Hey, I work for TSN radio 1050. And I like, I'm the afternoon DJ. And I'm like, okay, good. Now there are people out there that are with disabilities. that are like, I want to be just like him, or at least I know I can get there. But until you see that visibility, you're kind of like, well, geez, where am I going? Right. And I think it's um, the way to shake it up is through money. I mean, uh, Sportsnet and TSN and you know, every media outlet, money talks, BS walks. And, yeah. and I think, you know, if, if sponsors say, hey, we want to see, be more reflective of society, uh, you're going to see that. I mean, I think every Canadian car commercial that I see now, there's either an Asian woman and a white guy or a black guy and a white girl or like they, it's like, okay, we have to do this. Yeah. And so they're, 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 they're mixing the melting pot like crazy and it's fantastic. 
But I think with, you know, with persons with disabilities, it's certainly not there, there yet. Yeah, I th- but I think it's an opportunity. That's where I look at it, is that it's just around the corner in the sense that people realize that there has to be more diversity. And I think that that person in that boardroom that says, hey, yeah, why don't we have someone uh, with a disability? Uh, I have a good friend, uh, Lowell Taylor and, and Julie uh, Taylor. They're, they're on The Amazing Race. And uh, Lowell's uh, training to be a Paralympian uh, in a tandem cycling. He's blind. Imagine being a blind racer on yeah. The Amazing Race. Like it's, uh, he, he can see through a pinhole, basically. And uh, Lowell talks a lot about uh, overcoming obstacles. In fact, he and Julie are, are, are just starting their podcast, calling it uh, Overcoming Obstacles and, and ob- Obstacles and Opportunities. Yeah. And I, that's where I think, you know, persons with disabilities uh, have an opportunity to, you know, you get into somebody in front of their face and, and tell them, hey, listen, be at the, the tip because now you see, you know, like right now, uh, because of George Floyd and everything that's gone on, there's uh, this resurgence for every network in Canada to say, hey, we're not racist. We're not yeah. racist. Look at us. Look at us. That that opens up the opportunity for everyone else, uh, LGBTQ uh, community, uh, personal disabilities, everyone, uh, you know, literally wants a seat at the table and should have a seat at the table. It shouldn't just be all white guys. We actually had Jennifer Hedger on last, I think it's like, yeah, last week. And um, she was kind of talking about women in media and anytime that they do something, it's almost like, oh my God, congratulations. Like you, you combed your hair today. Oh yes. Or, you got two women broadcasting or she overcomes and she's now the coach of San Antonio for a game. Let's talk about that. It's like, or just treat it like it's normal. Like she's, she's qualified. That's okay. Well, it's, it's also sad that it's special. It's yeah. taken so long for things to happen. But I, you know, I, I guess I look at it. I, I, I try not to focus on it. I try to just keep, keep plowing through with whatever I'm doing. One of the things that you could, would see on Body Break uh, when people go to our YouTube channel and look at uh, our old Body Break episodes, look at the people in the background. Those people in the background are not by accident. They're there specifically. We hired them. We, in fact, had a, um, an agency in Toronto that uh, had, um, had, was uh, persons with disabilities only. That's all they, they uh, extras for TV and movies, and, and we would go to them all the time, and I would hire extras, and they would be in the background of different body break episodes. So, for example, we're doing one in our um, in the restaurant scene, and you'll see somebody doing sign language to another person over my shoulder as I'm doing as I'm talking. So it's not the fact it's not a show about persons that are deaf. Yeah, it's a it's about eating healthy. There, there's a deaf person in the scene. So that person, that deaf child at home who's watching the show and sees another person doing sign language, sees themselves. And I think that's what we tried to get across all the time is that we would have, and we, and, and that particular show, we had a person in a wheelchair next to Joanne. You just saw a hint of the wheelchair. It wasn't about it's a wheelchair show and we're eating. It's that people who are in wheelchairs they also eat too, so, yeah. and they have to eat healthy. 
So it's, they are just simply part of the landscape. And that's what we were always trying to get across. And so we never, in a sense, shoved it down people's throats so that they go, oh, this is a, yeah. a, a racial show, or this is a show about disabilities. I mean, we did a fair amount of shows, um, like we did uh, persons with disabilities, water skiing, uh, downhill skiing. I, and we, was, we reluctantly did wheelchair basketball because that's how, uh, that's the sport that's so pop, that's so traditional yeah. with, um, with persons in wheelchairs. But we did a wheelchair basketball show. But we, we, we've done many different shows with, with persons with disabilities. And that was, the big thing is we wrote the scripts, did the editing, owned the show, we dictated everything. I directed the show. Joanne wrote the shows. So we dictated everything. And so having the control and power, you, you could portray what it looked like. So literally when we're doing a show, we wanted to tick off as many boxes of equality that we could. Now think about that 33 years ago yeah. when we started. You know, people didn't think like that at all. And so, but yet we did. And that's why when people go back and look at our shows now, and, and, and that's why when I, I came out with the video this summer about racism and, you know, showing if people were to um, go back and look at our shows, they go, yeah, I see what he's saying. Yeah. Because almost every single show, there's somebody different in there that, we, as I said, we did that not by accident, but it, certainly on purpose. Yeah, and I think, you know, in kind of making, not like light of the situation, but I guess light of it when you're watching it is small, like, because I noticed there's no mustache here, you're right, like, that's, that was where my, my mind went as soon as I seen, because I'd be like, okay, if, if you show me those commercials, or like the, those ads or commercials today, or the shows, I'd be like, geez, okay, like, I'm seeing this big, big mustache here, and oh, yeah, now there's the person with the disability, oh, and there's that person, so like, I, I gotta ask, because I know someone had made a note out too, and I mentioned earlier that I was interviewing you. Is there like, what happened to the mustache? Why is why is there no mustache? Well, the mustache used to be black, and if I had one now, it would be gray. <laughs> and, and so I'm I'm a low maintenance guy, so I would just I go I can uh, mess with it and color it, or I can cut it off. Just cut it off. And I grew a mustache when I was on Team Canada. And we all grew a must. We all grew Fu Manchus when we went and played in Japan for the World Championships, and so the whole team wanted to look tough. Yeah. And so we all grew these big Fu Manchus. And uh, then when I got back uh, to the University of Colorado, I cut it off and I had a mustache. So I've had a mustache since then. And to, it was also to look older. I had the when I was when I was in my twenties, I and even thirties, I looked much younger. And so I, my goal was to look older, more mature, more older. When you, when you get in your 60s, that's not what, what you're trying to do. That's not yeah. one, of your, one of your goals in life. Is so is, I think I look old enough and the mustache, it, it's had its time and uh, I've, I've moved on from it. I, I bring it up just because like when you mentioned about you don't want to be say, 60 acting as an 18 year old like imagine if you go on tiktok one day or cbc's like hal johnson has joined tiktok and everyone's like great body break on tiktok it's like no this is hal johnson doing a dance and you're like i don't want to see that 
I don't want to see right. that. <laughs> but when you do look back at these body breaks, when you look at your outfits, do you kind of like laugh at the outfits or are you just kind of like, yeah, let's bring that back and let's bring it into 2021? <laughs> everything that's everything that's old is new again. <laughs> and so things that are, if I wore something, if I had a body break, I've got a bunch of them, the old ones. If I wore it, it would go, wow, okay, it's colorful. And that was our whole goal as well. Our, our whole idea of body break from the music that we that we uh, commissioned to to write the, the body break theme song to what we wore it was all about being happy and come on and join us and so it was always we always shot on a bright sunny day in fact we uh, we canceled shoot days uh, when it was going to be cloudy we always wanted sunshine we always wore bright colored clothes because it was happy so that was kind of was, that was our signature in terms of um, uh, how we could make a, a low-budget show look expensive. We go to gorgeous places like Lake Louise. We shot a lot of our summer things in San Diego. I had a condo in San Diego, and we shot shot our summer body break episodes in February and March in San Diego, and then we released them in May for Canada. So, because if we actually film them. <laughs> We'd have to be like June or July before the weather was good enough, and the summer's almost over. You know, by the time we get out to the stations, so we would do our summer ones in San Diego, and and then we'd often shoot like a winter ones in uh, the year, like in we'd also shoot the winter ones like in December, January of that year, and then release them in November of the following year, okay. uh, leading up to it. So that was how we often did it. Well, I mean, I'm, gl- I'm glad you did that. Like, see, see, to me, there's a lot more than just the vibrate. Like, it seems like you were like a very intellectual person when you're looking at this. You're like, you're looking at the colors, you're looking at the ethnicity. It's like, you know, I'm sure at times someone would be like, geez, someone got to like calm down Hal. He's going way overboard into this. He's like really digging into this. But I like how you did that. Like, because again, it worked out for you. But when you were mentioning about going to San Diego to film the summer parts and you know, having the winter parts ready. I'm telling you, if you tried to film all that stuff in Newfoundland, you you weren't getting off body break. There'd be no body break. There would just be like, uh, this is Hal, this is Joanne, we're in Newfoundland, we couldn't film again today. So that makes it what, day 200? <laughs> what, what, yeah. what are we gonna do? We're gonna show, let's, let's do another skidoo shoot. And they'd be like, we've done 12 already, Hal. Yeah, let's do yeah. it again. So much fun. <laughs> That's what we wanted. Our whole idea and approach was really to show people that when they would click in and you're watching your favorite television program and yeah. would jump in, we wanted to show uh, you to come on and come on and join us. We we're asking you to join us that it's got to be something that looks attractive enough to join, whether it be going out for a hike, you know, we're out snowshoeing and it's a blizzard and it's like gloomy. Uh, Who wants to do that? Uh, yeah, uh, maybe not. I'll wait till it warms up. But if it's a bright sunny day, you've got the snow on the trees, it looks gorgeous. You kind of go, yeah, that's where I'd like to be in that environment. Yeah. And so that's what we're always trying to do is, is people at home. And, and, you know, quite frankly, it was just Joanna. Uh, we, we had our, our cameraman, Chloe Garropy, and sound man, Phil Kawasoe, and, and Grip, uh, Joel Robinson. Uh, probably for the first uh, 12 years, that was our crew. We would hire them for the for the day, and we go shoot, you know, three body break episodes in, in one day. So that's quite often what we would uh, 
uh, would do. It, it, uh, it, and it was a very tight, tight ship. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave Clark was, uh, wrote the Body Break theme song. And he, Dave Clark is our, did our voiceover. Um, and he says, he says Body Break with Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. And so Dave Clark is the voice of, uh, that says that Body Break all the time. Who was the one who kind of did the jingle for Body Break? Because no matter where you go, that still stays in my mind. I'd be in the middle of doing like an exam or in the middle of like taking a call and next minute you hear the jingle and I'm just still like, that's going to be stuck in my head. So, I mean, again, good marketing, but at the yeah, same well, time. That, that was Dave. Uh, Dave Clark wrote the music. Yeah. And um, he wrote it. And Dave said to me, we said body break. And he said, you know, we have to introduce you guys. Yeah. So people always know you. And so they get the name kind of cemented in people's heads. So it's always Buddy Break, Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. And so people would hear that over and over, like literally thousands and hundreds of thousands of times because we were being seen 1,500 times a week on 130 stations across the country. So basically there's nowhere you could go where, <laughs> in the 90s where you didn't see Body Break all the time. And in the fact, you didn't have phones, you weren't watching stuff on computers, um, so you're watching television yeah. all the time. So the, the, the concentration of the amount of Canadians that would see us all the time was phenomenal. When you mentioned over 300 episodes, we mentioned like prior, it says from doing a little bit of research here, it says like CBC was the first to air it. And I think that's where I see it. Cause like, again, on like Saturday mornings when you're watching like CBC Kids, CBC Cartoons, or just coming home for lunch uh, when you're in school, you turn on CBC to watch like say Little Bear or Franklin. And this is when you're like 12. No, I'm like kidding. Right. <laughs> but ironically enough, and I find it ironic, you might not, but like TSN was the one that we issued it the most. And like, I feel like, I know you're not that type of person. It'd be funny if you were, but I, I know you're not, but it'd be funny like, here it is that TSN kind of turns you down or says, listen, we don't want two black reporters. And yet they're the ones that are showing body break the most with you. It's almost like, did you ever feel uh, a little bit of sense of like, ha, like you, you're showing me, you're showing my stuff. Like it's kind of like, no, and, and that's what I'm saying, Hal, you're too humble. No, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not that it's just, it's wasted energy. And it's the fact just just be grateful that they're, they're playing the heck out of it. And I realized from a, a marketing perspective, they, they saw the need. They saw how they could utilize it and use it within their show. Now, really, the, the idea of Body Break and the reason it was on played so much, and I found this, this niche, in the, in, as, and that's where I look at it as an opportunity. In Canada, um, the TRC, TR, uh, TRC, TRC um, uh, they, they required, uh, we require in Canada 24 minutes of programming and only six minutes worth of commercial time uh, per half hour. Yeah. In the US, a half hour show is 22 minutes long. So there's, there's a gap of two minutes that I found. So there's a two minute gap. So when an American show plays on Canadian television, there's a two minute gap that they cannot play commercials. So I went and I got a number, a Canadian programming content number on every Body Break episode. So that show, so when I give it to the stations and they play an American show that's 22 minutes long, 
They play six minutes worth of com commercials, which they're allowed to do. They have a gap of two minutes that they have to fill yeah. with something, with programming. And we gave them 90 seconds to fill free. And they paid, played the hell out of it. So it was a benefit to them. They were benefiting because we were giving them free programming. It, it, it's suffice their CRTC regulations. So we were helping them out. So it wasn't that they're doing me a favor because they like me. They were doing it because it helped them out. And they were helping us out by getting the word out about Body Break. So it was really a, the win-win situation. And that's where I look at is um, uh, that what we have to look at always as you know, younger people, um, you know, where's the opportunities? Look at the win-win situations where things can benefit them and benefit you at the same time. What I would do is if, if TSN said to me, you're a sports, like a network that kind of turns you down or something. And they're like, uh, you see them showing your stuff. There's like a part of me that would be like, okay, like you got to show me every day now. So it's kind of like, okay, I got one up on you, but yeah, like again, the more humble approach, but again, it just shows you that you were kind of more dissecting into this. When you mentioned way back earlier in the interview, you didn't see like the obstacle or you didn't see like what could go wrong. Like you're looking at every possible pro when you just mentioned that they had this gap and you're basically saying here use this like in my mind i'm like okay geez like what what's the outcome there but i guess in your mind you're like what could go wrong like they use it they use it if they don't they don't but at least they have it you feel a need they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart and no. that's why i say like right now with tsn even you know if you were to go to them or sportsnet or anyone like that and say you know what a person of disability it's not just putting a person with a disability on network for them. It's how is it going to benefit them? And that's what you have to show them. How is it going to benefit them? And, and they can you know, go to the fact that, oh, yeah, we're doing this because we're a good corporate client, customer, and so on and so forth. How is it going to benefit them? And that's really the bottom line. I, I learned that when I sold computer systems, you know, and i being rejected all the time. And, and you had to realize, okay, how is – I'm selling a product and, and I, I think this product is going to help them, but I have to show them how the product that the computer that I'm selling is going to make them more productive and make them money. Even though they're putting this money out for this product, it's going to benefit them in such a, uh, a big way. And that's the difference between, and you understand when you're in sales between features of a product and a benefit of a product. The features of a product, and oftentimes people sell themselves, here are all my features. But what's more important is here are the benefits. And so people get hung up on the features of things. You know, it has, you know, my, my new iPhone has a great camera. Okay, that's a feature. What's the benefit? You know, and that's the thing is what, what you have to look at when, you're, when anyone is marketing yourself. Market your benefits, not simply just your features. I like that. Was there anything else you kind of wanted to discuss? Anything that we covered or didn't cover that you want to just touch upon? No, I'm good. I mean, if anybody, you know, uh, I'd like people to go to our YouTube channel, check it out, uh, subscribe, hit the bell, all those uh, like it, all those things that they say on, on YouTube. <laughs> we just started. And I have, see, I have a goal. We just started on YouTube. And I, I think I've got 2,900 subscribers. And Jeez, so I said, you know, you're doing better than me. You're doing already better. <laughs> I just, I, we just started, well, we really started 10 months ago. So my, my goal at the end of this 
2021 is to have 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. And so it's like, I go, you know, and I'm going to work away at it and, and have some fun with it. It's, it's just a goal. And I've got a goal. And I, uh, I said to Joanne at the beginning of uh, this year, I wanted to get a thousand subscribers. And so, well, yeah, we, we, we hit that goal. And uh, at the beginning of, for the 2020 and, uh, uh, and the funny thing was, it was really the racism video that sprung us from about 600 to 2,500 in the space of like a week. <laughs> it was crazy. Do you find like, I, I guess, because I'm, I'm actually interested in that. It's like, do you find with the changing of the times and like technology, like you have to kind of adapt the way you do body break? Because I know back then, like, you know, you just turn on your TV and you'd see it on commercials, but now where people go into Instagram, Twitter, like, do you find that you kind of got to catch that? Because everyone's attention span is no longer this 90 minutes. It's like 15 seconds. Like, do you ever sit down with Joanne and be like, dude, how are we getting like a 15 minute body break in here? Like, am I just going to like lift a weight and say, this is how you lift a weight? Or like, do you ever think of like doing a comical video, just like somewhat of a workout video, but somewhat like trending? It's like, does all that come to mind? Yeah, but one of the, I guess the, the, the good thing about us, or the, I guess the, the good uh, part where we're at right now, is that we're, we're not certainly doing it for any financial benefit. Yeah. It's, it's just for fun. It doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? I'm not like, we're not like having to pay our rent. You know, like we're basically, we're retired. You know, we're just, and, and so this is something Joanne looks at it and she says, you're just amusing yourself. You're just having yeah. some fun. And I am. I mean, you know, like we have all of the equipment. We have all the stuff. I mean, I've, as I said earlier before, you know, I've got all this, this camera gear, the lights, soft boxes. I've got everything that you need to put a whole thing together. Why not do it? And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be uh, putting out some new stuff on YouTube in the next month or so. It may gain a lot of traction. It may not, it may get six people watching it, you know, and I guess when, whenever you're, whenever money is not your driving force and bought and with body break, money has never been our driving force ever yeah. is that we always thought if you do good work and you like what you do, good things will happen. And now, now you're just now, now you're just paraphrasing Conan O'Brien. I'm going to have to cut you there. No, I'm like, oh, is that right? <laughs> I, was, I, I don't listen to Conan. So I didn't really <laughs> But it's it's that like Conan copied me because I'm always, oh, oh yeah I, I, that's, um, because yeah it, you when you focus on on financial it's a spiral to to I call it negativity we focus on doing good work and enjoying what you do I, I know when, when Joanne and I started we said after the first year was over we said wow that was great if we could do this just one more year and don't have to get a job wouldn't that be great and we did it year two year three. Year 10, year 20, year 30. Now, I'm never going to get another job, which is so uplifting. And and, uh, and we're so busy now. It's, it's crazy. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Hal Johnson for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. 
Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.